As the basis for our exposition of the seventh commandment this morning, let's turn to Genesis 2. Genesis chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 18, and we'll read into chapter 3 and through verse 11. I don't have an introduction to this sermon this morning, so let me announce the theme and divisions. The theme for the sermon is naked and not ashamed. First, the purity of marriage. Second, the ugliness of sin. And third, the highest reality. Genesis 2, we'll begin reading at verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And now this is the verse that especially leads us into the sermon this morning. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, or have I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? We read God's word to that point this morning. On the basis of that passage and many other passages in the Scriptures, the Heidelberg Catechism explains the seventh commandment to us. In Lord's Day 41, you'll find that on page 23 in the back of your Psalter. Lord's Day 41. What doth the seventh commandment teach us? That all uncleanness is accursed of God, and that therefore we must with all our hearts detest the same, and live chastely and temperately, whether in holy wedlock or in single life. 
Doth God forbid in this commandment only adultery and such like gross sins? Since both our body and soul are the temples of the Holy Ghost, He commands us to preserve them pure and holy. Therefore, He forbids all unchaste actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever can entice men thereto. Beloved of God, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 give us two accounts of the creation week. Not two contradictory accounts, but two complementary accounts. Two accounts of the same creation week, but from two different perspectives. Genesis 1 gives us the broad perspective, if you would zoom the camera lens out. That's Genesis 1. It covers the whole of the creation week. Genesis 2 looks at that same creation week, but zoomed in specifically on the creation of Adam and Eve and of their relationship. Both accounts are complete in their purposes. Both accounts are beautiful. And both accounts end with words that sum up the work of creation from the perspective that each one is giving. The end of Genesis 1, which is summing up the whole of God's work of creation, ends with those words, God saw what he had made, and behold, it was very good. God says throughout Genesis 1, he made this, and it was good. He made this, and it was good. And then at the end, he looks at the whole thing. Behold, it was very good. Genesis 2, that's focused on Adam and Eve, their creation, ends in such a way that it shows the beauty of the creation of man and woman and of the relationship together in their marriage. It's those words that maybe seem strange at first or almost feel like they're tacked on to the end of the account. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The intent of those of that verse at the end of Genesis 22, Genesis 2, is to communicate to us the purity, the sinlessness, the shamelessness of life before the fall and of the relationship of Adam and Eve. As we will see in more detail in just a moment, the Bible speaks of the sense of guilt for sin and shame for sin before God in terms of nakedness. And it does that because of the feeling of physical nakedness. Physical nakedness is exposure. It's subjecting oneself to the gaze and the inquisition of another, the scrutiny of another, the examination of another with nothing to hide behind. Nakedness makes one feel exposed, shameful. So too, in our relationship to God, if our sins are exposed before God and we know God is seeing us in the guilt of our sin, we have a similar feeling. We feel exposed. We feel scrutinized. We're we're under the gaze We're under the examination of, and we have nothing to hide behind. We're naked before him spiritually. Which is why sometimes we use that language. I feel naked before God in my sin. That's even biblical language. Hebrews 4, 
Verse 13, all things are naked and open before Him with whom we have to do. So because there is a similarity between the feeling of being exposed in physical nakedness and the feeling of exposure in spiritual nakedness before God, this one becomes a metaphor for this one in the Bible. And that's part of what's going on in Genesis 2.25. The point of Adam and Eve being naked and not ashamed before the fall is wrapped up in the fact that they were sinless. They were righteous. They were pure. They were physically naked, to be sure. But that indicates something about the fact that they didn't experience any sense of shame before God. Like they didn't have any shame this way. There was no guilt. There wasn't this feeling of being under the gaze of God and the guilt, Him exposing their sins and them having nowhere to hide. Adam and Eve were open to the scrutiny of God and each other. And there was no embarrassment. And of course, that's contrasted with the way that it is after the fall in what we read from Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, verse 7, the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And when God comes to Adam, He says, I ran away because I was naked before the obviously that means more than physical nakedness. I, I was naked. I had a sense of shame before you and guilt when the Bible says there, the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. It doesn't mean that they were blind before this. And they were just now given the gift of physical sight. Not at all. They knew that they were physically naked before, but the point is they didn't know the nakedness of nakedness. They didn't know the, the sense of exposure, of being under the gaze of being examined, of having that feeling of shame. But now they did, since they have fallen and sinned against God and sinned against each other. They feel so exposed. They feel guilty. They feel shameful. Their eyes are opened to know the nakedness of nakedness after the fall. That nakedness is shameful. And so from that point on in the Bible, from the fall in Genesis 3 all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation, the Bible carries this connection between nakedness, physical nakedness, and the sense of guilt and shame for sin. Look at the story of Noah. After the flood, when he gets off the boat, and he grows grapes, and he commits the sin of drunkenness. And yet, so much of the focus of that story is not only on, naked, on Noah's drunkenness, but on his nakedness. And the shame of his sin that was exposed in his nakedness. And the curse that comes upon Ham's generations in that story is very specifically pointed at the fact that Ham delighted in the shame of Noah in his naked state in his drunkenness. The other two boys carried this blanket backwards so that they didn't see the shame of their father. But Ham went in and he laughed. He mocked at it. He saw the shame of the nakedness. He saw the shame of the guilt of the sin of Noah. And he laughed at it. He mocked. And for that he was cursed. The connection there between the physical nakedness and the shame of sin. In the book of Leviticus, just in chapter 18 alone, the word nakedness is used 24 times, always as a metaphor for the shamefulness of sexual sin. Nakedness and shame. In the New Testament, you see this especially in the book of Revelation, this connection. Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, where Jesus is speaking, I counsel thee 
to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. He's not talking about the shame of physical nakedness there, but he's using physical nakedness as a metaphor for the shame of being spiritually unclothed, being spiritually before the gaze of God in the guilt of your sin. And he says, you need the white raiments of my righteousness to cover you so that you don't feel this exposure before God and the guilt and the shame that comes from that. Again, Revelation 16, verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Again, using physical nakedness. This time to speak about holiness. Living in holiness is keeping your garments on. You don't want to be walking spiritually naked, living in sin when Christ returns and He sees the shame of you walking in sin when He comes back. But live in holiness. So that you see in the Scriptures, after the fall, nakedness is associated with shame and humiliation and guilt and sin. And even if we live in a culture, in a world, where the collective conscience of this culture is so seared so that there's less of a sense of shame and guilt in the nakedness of this culture and the sexual sin and exposure of bodies in this culture so that this culture tries to push God away so that they're not under His gaze, does everything in their power to get Him far away. That's what the theory of evolution is all about. Get God far away. I don't want His gaze to be upon me. This is what the denial of the Word of God is about. I don't want His gaze to be upon me. And the farther and farther away they think they've gotten Him, the farther away they think they've gotten themselves from His gaze, is it any surprise that then in the culture the clothes start coming off? And there's more nakedness and there's more sexual sin and people unclothe themselves on the internet. And yet, even though all that is the case, they can't completely escape it, can they? This connection between nakedness and shame and guilt and exposure before Jehovah God Why is it that all of these people who unclothe themselves on the internet still have shower curtains? It's because when they don't feel like they are in control of the situation and they have the power in the situation, they still don't want this gaze. They don't want that feeling of being watched, being examined. And why is it that though there's such boldness in sin, unclothe ourselves before the whole world? Because God is far away. I don't feel this gaze and this shame. Why is it yet that when a big storm blows through, And people realize he's not so far away as I thought he was. And they feel this. He's still here. And why is it that when the disease comes and death seems to be imminent or, or the car accident happens, these people who are so confident in their sin, they now feel that gaze. They feel the shame. They feel the, the fear and the exposure and the guilt. They can't completely shake it. Nakedness and shame and guilt and exposure and examination and embarrassment. Accept. Accept in one place. 
inside the bond of a husband and his wife for life. Then it's not shameful. Inside the God-ordained bond of marriage between a man and a life for a man and a wife for life. God says it's not. Isn't that astounding? Even after the fall, even after the fall, where this connection is so strong between nakedness and shame, God carves out this one place, this one state. This one position that human beings can be in. Where they can still have something of what Adam and Eve had before the fall. Of being naked and not being ashamed. Already before the fall. In the pre-fall state. This naked and not being ashamed. Had something to do with the marriage state that God created there. It wasn't only the fact that they were sinless, but it was also the fact that they were married. You didn't miss it, did you? In Genesis 2, verse 25, it doesn't say they were naked, the man and the woman, and they were not ashamed. It says, and they were naked, the man and his wife. And they were not ashamed. The Bible is telling us something about marriage too there. This is before the fall. Marriage is an institution that God created between a man and a wife that bears something of the same purity that Adam and Eve bore individually before God, before the fall. They can be naked with each other in marriage and not feel this shame. Marriage is a place God created where one can be exposed like this and not be shamed. And strikingly, this carries through even after the fall. I gave you all those passages where the Bible connects nakedness and shame and guilt after the fall into sin. And yet the Bible still says there is this place Where here in the confines of this relationship, the marriage bed is undefiled. It is not shame to be naked. It's not sin. There's no sense of embarrassment and guilt. It's good and it's right and it's true. There is one place, one state, one situation where you don't have to hide who you are before your fellow human being. Where it's safe to be exposed like that physically, but then with all that, that represents too emotionally and spiritually. Why? Why here in the state of marriage? And why here only? The answer, beloved, is because of how God created marriage as an institution and because of what He created marriage to picture. As an institution, God created marriage as a bond between two persons, a man and a woman, for life. Whether they feel that bond or not, it's there. They should feel it, and they should work to feel it if they don't. But whether they feel it or not, subjectively, it's there that bond is objectively. He's created it there. He creates a union so complete that he says in this marriage, you are no more two but one flesh. So united are these two, bound by this bond that God has created between them, that not even God himself can undo what he's done unless he takes one of the members of that union in death. Not even divorce ends this bond. Not even being on separate sides of the world ends this bond. And of course, this is why the marriage oaths are what they are traditionally. They're a recognition of this reality. 
the marriage oath is, I shall live this way, faithful to you, till death do us part, I swear before Almighty God that I recognize what I'm entering into here. I understand what God is doing, that He's creating a bond here between us for life. And that's why I swear this oath to you, that I will live this way until death do us part. And I swear this before God and before my fellow man. And don't you see? Because God created marriage as an institution, this, this is why it's safe. This is why it's possible to be naked inside this bond and not be ashamed. This is why the teaching of the seventh commandment is that it's only okay here. Only after this bond is established only after these vows are made between two people. Because in the confines of this bond and where these vows have been made, it's safe. It's secure. I may be exposed now before this person. I may be subject to their gaze. And no matter what, they will not forsake me. They will not leave me. They will not reject me. They've sworn it before God and before their fellow man. That's why we're scared to be scrutinized, right? It's the fear of rejection. But in this bond, we're freed from the fear of rejection. It's supposed to be. They may not. They will not. And therefore it's safe to be naked and everything else that that represents. It's safe for me to be open emotionally, to be open spiritually. Only here, in the safety of that kind of commitment, in the context of that God-created bond, can I be naked and not ashamed. This is part of how God's creation of marriage pictures the higher marriage between God in Christ and His church. Because, beloved, as secure and comfortable as a godly biblical marriage ought to be, it's still point at pointing us to something higher and something more secure and more wonderful. The higher security, the higher safety that comes from this higher bond. The bond of Christ to His church in the covenant of grace. That's what God's covenant with His people is. It's a bond of commitment that God establishes with His church. And the greatest security that God's people can ever know, whether they're married or whether they're single, is there in that bond. In that bond, God swears an oath. An oath that is not affected by sin. An oath that is inviolable. And an oath that is quite astounding. In this bond, he swears this. I shall be your God, and you shall be my people. And he takes both parts of that oath upon himself. He makes that his marriage vow, as it were. Normally, in a vow in this bond, you'd have the one saying, I shall be your husband, and the other shall be your wife. And so you might expect that in these vows of the covenant, God would say, I shall be your God, and we would say, and we shall be your people. And we do say we shall be your people after this. But in God's oath, he says both. I shall be your God, and you shall be my people. The whole thing is taken upon him. That's where the safety and the security of this higher bond is found. It's established in Him. He keeps it. He secures it. And because He does so for everlasting to everlasting, it is safe in this bond. His covenant is an everlasting covenant. 
Psalm 105, verse 10. He confirmed the covenant unto Jacob and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. That's commitment. Everlasting. It's unconditional and unbreakable. God says, I keep this. I establish this. I will ensure this. You shall be my people. And part of the effect of that is that I will lead you to say it too. I shall be your people, God. We shall be your people. But this is me. I'll be your God. And you shall be my people. And it's so safe. And it's so secure in this higher bond with these higher vows that when in your living in this bond with God, you say to Him, but God, my sins, my sins, how can you say you shall be my people? Don't my sins ruin this bond? Doesn't it mean that I have fallen out of this bond now the way that I have rebelled against you? He says, no, you shall be my people. And that's why I send my son to the earth to take all of your sins in this bond upon himself to bear your guilt and your stains so that it might be true, you shall be my people. You remember how the Scriptures speak of Jesus taking our sins upon Himself? They speak about it as Him covering our nakedness. Don't they? Like the animal skins that God used to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve a picture of the righteousness of Christ covering our sin and guilt before the gaze of God. Like Isaiah 61, verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. I was naked before Him in my sin, but He covered me with the robes of His righteousness so that I don't have this guilt and this shame before Jehovah God. How else could Christ have done that? Except by taking all of the ugliness and the shame and the guilt of it upon Himself and bearing it away. And how would He convince us that He had done that except He was crucified, hanging there utterly, utterly, Naked. For my vesture they did cast lots. They divided my garment among them. It's a sign of the fact that all of the shame and the ugliness of the sin of God's true people, including the shame of the sexual sins of God's people, was upon his head. Can you imagine? There has no one who's ever felt so naked as the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross in every sense of the word. This man knew the nakedness of nakedness. Can you imagine the gaze of the Almighty? He made him to be sin who knew no sin. All of the sins of all of his elect upon him and the gaze of the Almighty, the scrutiny, the shame, the guilt that he bore before Jehovah God and then the punishment of eternal wrath for things that you have done that I have done that we might be clothed with his righteousness that we might know covering that we might know guilt taken away that we might know the purity of what it is to have his pure life upon us 
That's how committed He is to His people in the covenant. That's how secure you are in this bond. That's how secure these oaths make you to be how safe it is in this higher marriage of Christ and His church. Never to be forsaken by Him. And so you may open yourself up to Him. You see? You may be spiritually naked before Him and not be ashamed. You may confess your sins to Him. You may open yourself up to this God in this safe bond in the confines of this covenant. There's been a place opened up for you to pray to Him and say, God, I did this and it's horrible and I hate it and I repent of it. Take it away. And I don't want to ever do it again. You can confess. You may speak to him openly and honestly. Because it's safe. It's secure. He will not reject you. He will not forsake you. He knows already. He's taken it away already in the cross of Jesus Christ. Whether you're married or you're single. This is the safety. The highest safety. The bond the bond of marriage pictures. You can be naked here, spiritually, and not be ashamed. Does your marriage reflect something of that? The safety? Is it safe for your spouse? to be open with you. We say things in marriage we don't say to anybody else, do we? Maybe even confess things in marriage that we don't confess, perhaps, to somebody else. But if there's not something of this security and safety in this bond, then work to get it back. Which means following the way of the scriptures for how to live in marriage. It's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be sinless. But something of a reflection of that safety and security, naked and not ashamed. Now, consider One of the marvelous reasons why God gives the seventh commandment is to protect this place. This one state where even after the fall you can be naked and not ashamed. And that the seventh commandment is given to protect this place also to protect the picture that it is to be on the earth of this higher bond of His covenant where you can be naked before God spiritually and be safe. That's what the seventh commandment is for. Is to protect it. Because all sin against the seventh commandment does damage to that place. And does damage to what that place is picturing. It does damage rather to the picture that that is giving of this greater reality. Premarital sex. It does damage. Because it's trying to have this intimate and, and profound exposure of nakedness without the safety of this bond and of these vows till death do us part. And it's a vicious lie. These two people tried to convince each other or one tries to convince the other that it's safe. It's safe to be naked here. You can be naked here and not be ashamed. It will be okay. And it's not okay. 
Nobody has given themselves in vows till death you do part in this relationship. God has not created a bond between these two that lasts until the moment of death. There is not safety there. There is not security there. You may not open yourself up there. You will be hurt there. You will. And you smash the picture that this is supposed to make of that higher reality. Because God doesn't do this to his church. He doesn't call his church to expose herself to him spiritually, to open herself up outside of the confines of establishing this bond of his covenant with his church. When it's safe. Then you open yourself up. He loves her with a committed love never to be broken first. And the response of the church is to open herself and to show herself in confession and in the intimacy of love because it's secure. And therefore, in the picture, you must not take this nakedness, this exposure from another person without first giving this commitment The sin of viewing pornography or nakedness on the internet is the same. It's taking from other people nakedness and exposure outside of the security of the commitment of marriage, of the safety of marriage. And whether the people who are exposing themselves on the internet are being forced to do so or doing so entirely willingly, it doesn't matter. We're taking nakedness and the openness of nakedness without the commitment and the security of providing for them a safe place to do so. And that person who's doing that is probably already utterly broken by sins against the seventh commandment to begin with. It's, of course, easy to do this, which is why it's so appealing You get to have this sense of of nakedness and freeness without the hard work of providing this safe place to do so, of emotional security, of, of bond, of being committed to this person, of having vowed an oath to provide for them this safe place. That's why it's so easy. But Christ doesn't do that to his church, it took work. It took work for the Lord Jesus to provide this covenant, this bond, this safe place of commitment in which it was safe for His church to open Himself up to Him. And so too it takes work and marriage to provide this safe place, to be committed to those vows. And you're looking for the benefits without the work in taking nakedness without the safety that's provided in the bond and the vows. And that too ruins the picture. Because Christ doesn't do that. He gives the security. He does the work. He is committed. And inside that bond alone, naked and not ashamed. It's probably fair to say that sexual sin within the bond of marriage is even worse. Adultery, unbiblical divorce, The viewing of nakedness on the internet. Why worse? Because God has created that bond there now. And it is there. And you swore an oath. 
that you recognized what was happening here. That God created, was creating this bond between you and your spouse for life and that you were going to live in accord with that bond. You swore that you would never leave or forsake that person, that you wouldn't reject them. When they were naked, they didn't have to be ashamed. They could open themselves up to you and they would not be turned away. It would be safe for them to be exposed to you in the confines of this committed relationship. It would be a place where they could tell you things that they didn't tell other people. And you lied. It wasn't safe. When you told me it was, it wasn't. It wasn't secure. When you told me it was secure. And I was naked with you. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. If you have had that heartache and that sin performed against you, there is hope in this first, the more secure bond. And if God wills even back here in the picture, after much work and effort and following His way, if you are the perpetrator, small or great ways, then let us turn, turn in a truly broken, humble heart what we've done, what we've broken, what we've ruined, and turn to this Christ for forgiveness and for hope in this bond. And then, in this one. Because I don't care, beloved, how prevalent it becomes in society, and I don't care how hardened people's hearts are, adultery and divorce and sexual sin, is pain. It's pain. And one of the most gracious things God ever did was to give His church this seventh commandment to protect, to keep, and to make this bond the way that He made it to be. Be thankful that your church takes a stand upon the biblical understanding of marriage. It's protection. And yet, beloved, even inside the safety of a faithful biblical marriage, and even inside the safety of that faithful biblical marriage, as Adam and Eve had it before the fall, and even inside the safety of this bond of God's covenant as we experience it in this life it's still not the fullness of what it means to be naked and not ashamed even in the best of marriages there's still sin that mars it and affects it even in this bond of the covenant of grace in which there is such security, and we know it, there is still the fact that we are sinners in this bond. And when we sin against God, we, we feel the guilt and we feel the shame. And there must be the process of repentance and faith and the reapplication of all of these realities to us again so that we're naked and not ashamed again. But the day is coming. All of this will be fully realized in heaven above. Clothed utterly with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not only imputed and partly imparted, but imputed and utterly imparted to us, we will be able to be fully open, naked spiritually, psychologically before Him and each other and not be ashamed sinless there, utterly 
full of his love and grace and of the security of that bond will be so open. We won't try to hide anything. We won't fear rejection from him or anybody else that is around us. We'll sing, beloved, and we'll just, we'll just sing. We'll open and sing. We'll be free to speak. There won't be the possibility of fear and insecurity of examination and embarrassment. We'll be fully and utterly covered. The security of this place, the bond between us and God in Christ will be so firm, it'll be like nothing we have ever known before. We'll say about our marriage, it was a taste of it. We'll say about our life with God, it was an even better taste of it. But I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man has been able to conceive of the safety and the security of what we will know there. All those who have been hurt and broken by sin against the seventh commandment in this life. Even if they say to the point where I hardly know a thing about the safety and security of relationships in this life, hope is not lost. This is coming. It's coming. And for those who have good tastes of it in their marriage. Even this, you're going to say, not the half of it has been told me. He will love you like you've never known. He'll make you know security like you have never known. And before him you will be free in the deepest way possible. That goes so far beyond anything physical that pictures it. You will truly, utterly, and fully be naked and not ashamed. Amen. Father, bless the proclamation of thy word to us and strengthen us in our faith and our hope and in our love. In Jesus' name, amen.